today. We'll continue uh, the theme of the gospel. Preacher started this series a couple of weeks ago, and we'll culminate next Sunday in Resurrection Sunday. So today he asked me to continue the theme. We we talked this week and made a few decisions, and and so we're going to continue this theme of the gospel in Colossians chapter 3. Hadn't you enjoyed the series? Boy, it's good to just get back to the gospel, isn't it? That's where it all started, and it's just good to get back to the basics of our Christian life. Does anybody need a worship guide? Anybody need a worship We've got a couple up here that need a worship guide. I have my notes on the worship guide. Hopefully, I'll do a decent job of, of helping you stay along with that today. I'm still getting used to that, but y'all pray for me, amen? In Colossians chapter 3 today, we're going to look at what the product of the gospel looks like. Preachers talked about the gospel last week. He he talked about the power of the gospel. We'll touch on that a little bit today, but today I really want to focus on what it looks like as a product of the gospel. What does a product of the gospel looks like? You see, our world today is looking for the gospel. Amen? That's what they're looking for. They don't know it. Some of them don't know it. Some of them that are hurting or are in bondage to sin, or struggling. They don't realize it, but what they're really looking for is the gospel. That's what they're looking for. And in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, a uh, preacher last week, used his letter to the Romans. Today I'm going to use the letter to the, to the church at Colossus, And he uses it to give them some things that, that describe what a product of the gospel looks like. As we continue this theme of the gospel, we find the Apostle Paul in this passage exhorting believers at Colossus, if you would, to step up in their relationship with God, to, to step up in their effort, to step up in their, in their passion for Christ, to, to step up, if you would, in their zeal for God. So let's start reading in <coughs> Colossians 3. Y'all pray for me. I've had, you know, this weather, amen. We had 90 degrees, uh, I guess it was Monday. And today it's like two outside. I don't know what's going on, amen. But uh, y'all pray for my voice today as I get through these two services. Colossians 3 verse 1 says this, If ye then be risen with Christ... Hey, next week we're going to celebrate the resurrection, amen. And, And what we have to understand is as believers, we have been risen with Christ. Amen, church? We've been risen with Him. He says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which was renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, 
bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Wow, the apostle Paul was quite a preacher. Well, he didn't pull any punches, did he? I mean, he named sin. Amen. He just cut right down to it. As we look at this passage, though, risen with Christ, a product of the gospel in your notes, we see Paul encouraging, exhorting believers to step up. He gives good instructions on what it really means to be a product of the gospel. You see, church, the gospel delivers a new life. Amen? Hey, some of us, we just need to go back to where it began. If you're here today and you're struggling in your Christian life, if you're despondent, if you're in a rut, and we've all been there, amen, church? We've all been there. Hey, we get used to it, don't we? We get caught going through the motions. We get caught in the rat race of life, seeing the joy of our salvation being diminished. But Paul reminds us in this verse, hey, if you're risen with Christ, Hey, we need to step up and remember, hey, the day it all happened for us. The gospel changes lives. I'm telling you, church, the gospel gave me a new life, a brand new life. I'm talking about a a boy that grew up in Pine Bluff, Arkansas with no really purpose, with no really, hey, no really thing going on in my life that had a lot of meaning. I had a good set of parents, but, but the gospel came and has given me new life. It'll take a boy off the streets of Pine Bluff, and it'll allow him to preach the gospel. Hey, the gospel will take an alcoholic and put him in the worship team, amen? The gospel will take you out of your bondage today and give you new life. Some of us need to go back to the place where the gospel, hey, came in confrontation with us just like it did Paul, and it gave us a brand new life. Not an improved version, not a better version, I'm telling you, the gospel's about transformation. I'm talking about a new creature. Amen? Hey, I'm talking about a brand new creature. The gospel changes lives. I think about the Apostle Paul. Preacher touched on it last week. The Apostle Paul who hated the church and, and persecuted the church. Hey, who went on that road to Damascus to kill Christians. Yet the gospel came down and touched the Apostle Paul and struck him down. Hey, and Paul was a new man after that. He went to Damascus to persecute Christians. He wound up preaching to them. Amen? Wow, the gospel's powerful. The good news of the gospel is about changing lives. Paul said, I was passed from death unto life. I've been resurrected from the dead. In Ephesians 2, it says, And you hath he quickened which were dead in your trespasses and sin. But God, who is rich in his mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, saved us and gave us eternal life. Hey, if you're saved today, but you've, but you've lost your joy, if you're saved today and you're struggling, go back to where the gospel, hey, where you encountered the gospel. Go back to the day you were born again, amen? Go back to the day where it all started. I'm telling you, church, listen to me. Hey, you'll have a lot more joy in your life if you'll get up each day and just remember what God's done for you. 
the gospel, the power of the gospel. It's about a new life. I'm a product of the gospel. That's what I am. The reason my life has value today is because of the gospel. The reason I have purpose today is because of the gospel. If you're saved, it's the same thing for you. The gospel, the power of the gospel. If you be risen with Christ, in your notes today, we'll look at the first, the foundational thoughts of the notes today. We see this, to be risen with Christ will produce someone who will, number one, seek those things which are above. This describes our focus. To be risen with Christ will produce a person that's seeking those things that are above. This describes our focus. Number two, set your affections on things above. This describes learning to live for the eternal. And the last thought on the foundational thoughts is this. The impact of the gospel begins at salvation, but is fully revealed in a life focused on the spiritual and not the carnal. Paul, in this passage, listen, states two things that are needed for the power of the gospel to be revealed. Hey, I don't know about you, church, but I I don't want to just talk about it. Amen? I, I think what the world needs today is for someone to show them a picture of the gospel. You see, the the view of Jesus today in our society is kind of cloudy. Hey, it's kind of clouded over today when the world, when the lost and dying world is looking for Jesus and we've already established what this world's looking for is the gospel. They may not know it, but that's what they're looking for. But as they're looking for it, hey, the view gets cloudy sometimes. They're looking for a clear picture. Someone needs to be a clear picture of what the gospel really is. You and I that know the truth that know the true gospel, the one and only gospel, Paul says there's two things you need to do to give a clear view of the gospel. Two things. Number one, you need to seek those things which are above. Number two, you need to set your affections on things that are above. Seek those things that are above. The first thought I have today is if we want to give a clear picture of the gospel to the world we live in, we got to seek the heavenly. Amen? we got to start living for the eternal. we got to seek the heavenly. Paul said this. He said to seek those things and to set your affection. Paul reminds us, church, hey, of this, that it takes great focus, great intent, great commitment to live for God. He said to seek. That word in the Greek, if you look it up, means with great intent. It's not casually. It's not passively. What Paul's teaching us in that verse is you're not going to live for God accidentally. Amen? You're not going to live for... Hey, you know what you'll do naturally? You'll sin. You'll get in the flesh. But if you choose to walk the walk of God, hey, it's going to take great passion. It's going to take great focus. It's going to take someone who's seeking God. It's going to take someone who's, who's persevering in their relationship for God. It takes a conscious effort to yield to the Spirit. We naturally yield to the flesh, but it takes great focus and great seeking to yield to the Spirit of God. You don't live for God passively. Hey, it's going to take some determination, amen? It's going to take some focus. It's going to take someone that's seeking God. Are we doing that today? Paul said if the world, hey, if our community is going to get a clear picture of the gospel... If the people at your workplace and my workplace 
are going to get a clear picture of Jesus, I need to make sure every day I'm seeking him. I'm persevering. Hey, man, I'm going with determination and passion. Hey, we need this church. We need to get up each day and learn what it is to seek God and persevere in our relationship with him. Man, we coast. We like it easy. But I'm telling you, it'll take some determination, some focus to have a dynamic relationship with Jesus. I believe a dynamic relationship with God must be persevered. I believe you got to, hey, I believe you got to want this stuff. Amen? Salvation is something that God gives us. But a dynamic, exciting Christian life, you got to want that. That don't just happen. You got to want that, church. Hey, it's going to take some faith. It's going to take some pain. It's going to take some suffering. Many of y'all know about my son. He's, he's back incarcerated right now, doing better. Hey, I don't know why things happen the way they do. He's doing better. He's in rehab, and he gets picked up because he missed a probation meeting in December, so he's locked up. But let me tell you something. Hey, he's got a lot of people praying for him. And the other day when I, when I talked to him on the phone, he said, Dad, I can't explain it, but all I can tell you is sitting in this jail cell is I got peace, Dad. I said, let me tell you what it is, son. You got a lot of people praying for you. You got a lot of people praying for you. I'm telling you, my own personal walk today, there's some pain, there's some suffering, there's some trials. You got to want this thing of of having a deep, abiding relationship with God. It's going to take some pain. It's going to take some valleys. Amen, church? It's going to take some trials. Hey, this stuff ain't easy. If you're coming into this thing expecting, hey, just to coast through this life, hey, you're kidding yourself. If you make up your mind, Brother Jason brought it out about a month ago, this thing of serving God is going to cost you something. It's some suffering. It's some pain. It's some perseverance. The Bible says after you've suffered a while, then will I strengthen you and establish you and settle you. Hey, strengthening and settling and growing in Christ is preceded by suffering. Somebody's got to be willing to suffer. Be willing to suffer. Man, y'all quiet. I can't get no help in here this morning. Amen. Somebody help me. God's going to test you. He's going to try you. Paul said, you've got to seek if you're risen with Christ. It's almost like Paul was saying, if it's really true, if you've been risen with Christ, if you're really born again, hey, if you're really, hey, passed from death to life, if Jesus really did something in your life, then seek those things that are above. Pursue this relationship. Don't quit so easy. Hey, focus and set your affection on things above. Church, I'm telling you this morning, hey, whether you're asleep or you're awake, I'm telling you this morning, hey, it's going to take someone that perseveres in their walk with God. Are you willing to do that? The impact of the gospel begins at salvation, but it is fully revealed in a life focused on the spiritual and not the carnal. You see, the real power of the gospel Now, we're saved. The gospel saves. I've already mentioned it gives us new life. Hey, I've got a brand new life. But the real power of the gospel is revealed in a life that's sanctified to God. The real power of the gospel, too many Christians today think that the the culmination of your Christian life was when you got saved. The highlight of your life, listen, that is the most important day of my life. But there's a lot more to the Christian life after salvation that a lot of God's people miss out on. Hey, the Christian life should be 
the gospel beginning at salvation. But I'm telling you, church, it ought to be a rocket ride to heaven. Hey, it ought to be the gospel not only saving us, but the gospel growing us. Amen? And the power of the gospel, hey, moving up in our life and exposed in our life to the world around us. The gospel should have lasting effects. Something's wrong when God's people say they get saved, and after they save, they never do anything. Something's wrong somewhere. The gospel's supposed to have a lasting effect. It's supposed to continuously grow us and change us as we become more like Jesus. The gospel should have lasting power. It should be something, hey, that that manifests itself in our life as the days go on and the years go on. Oh, God, help us to be careful. But I'm telling you, it won't happen if you don't seek and you don't set your affections on things above. The gospel cannot be stopped by man. Its power cannot be diminished. But 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3 says it can be hidden. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. You can't stop it. You can't diminish it, but you can hide it where the world can't see it. How do we manifest the gospel? What does a product of the gospel look like? Well, it's someone who's seeking those things that are above, and it's someone who sets their affection on things above. Now, Paul gives us some requirements for the power of the gospel to be revealed in a life. These things are just required. It's not optional. It's not something you can choose to do or not. If you're going to have the power of the gospel revealed in your daily life, these are things that have to be done. In your notes today, requirements for the power of the gospel to be revealed in a life. Number one, there are things that must be mortified. And that word mortified just means put to death. The Apostle Paul says there are some things in your life, church at Coloss, that you must do away with. These are things that must be mortified. These are things that must be put to death. You can't play with them. You can't get entangled with them. This is not something you can can grow through. These are things, Paul says, that must be mortified if the gospel's going to be manifested in your life. So let's look at those verses again. Mortify what, Paul? What are you telling us to kill? What are you telling us to put to death? Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. And that word concupiscence is just a fancy word for for lust or evil desires. Covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. Things that have to be mortified or put to death. When Listen, church, when God saves a person, listen to me, he saves their soul, but he don't save their flesh. Amen? He saves our soul, but our flesh is still capable of anything. Let's just break it down. Amen? Our flesh is still flesh. It's going to go back to the dust. The Bible says after a man is saved, he's in spiritual warfare between flesh and spirit. It's a battle. Hey, if we're all honest in here, we'd say, Preacher, it's a battle every day. Amen? Hey, it's a battle. It's not easy. The flesh is lost. The flesh will never be saved. When God saves a person, he saves their soul. 
The Bible teaches after that person is saved, it is spiritual warfare. Paul gives a, gives a list of sin. I mean, he, he names sin. <laughs> Things that have to be put to death so the gospel can be revealed. He says, church at Coloss, there's some things going on that have got to be mortified so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can rightly be exposed and manifest. Church at Coloss, we've got to kill these things. We've got to mortify the members upon the earth. So how do we reveal the gospel in our life? Well, we've got to seek the heavenly, number one. We talked about that. Number two, we've got to slay the earthly. We've got to slay the earthly, the carnal. You see, the, the heavenlies not going to be manifested until the earthly is destroyed. Amen? You can't, hey, you can't play around with this world and with sin and expect the heavenly to be revealed in your life. It don't happen. It don't happen that way. We've got to slay the earthly. He calls it the members of the earth. Hey, church, and let's just break it down this morning. Paul specifically mentions sensual sins, doesn't he? He starts mentioning these sins of immorality. In Ephesians chapter 5, he does it to several of the churches. In Ephesians chapter 5, he said this to the church at Ephesus, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it, be not, let it not be once named among you as become as saints, nor filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather the giving of thanks. Paul specifically mentions these sins of the flesh, these sins of immorality. Why? Because he knew how the devil would use them to keep people in bondage. Hey, from Sodom and Gomorrah to the United States of America, I'm telling you, the devil still uses the lust of the flesh to destroy lives. He still uses it. So what do you do, preacher? you got to mortify it. Isn't that what he said? you got to kill it. You got to destroy it. Hey, those sins of the flesh, those sins of immorality, church, I'm telling you, as we think about the gospel and we want the gospel to be revealed in my life, I can't play around with this stuff. Sexual immorality was a scourge at Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm telling you today, church, it's still a scourge on the United States. We live in a culture today where everything goes. We live in a promiscuous society. We live in a society today where everything's accepted. Any lifestyle's accepted. Hey, any way is okay, but that does not change a thing. Hey, God says adultery's wrong. Amen? Fornication is wrong. God says that homosexuality is an abomination. Oh, I'm telling you, church, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that stuff was nailed to the cross. That stuff was nailed to the cross. Jesus died for my sin so that I could die to my sin. And God says if you're going to reveal the gospel in your life, if you're going to expose the gospel in your life, then there's some things that's got to be killed. Hey, no matter what our culture says about it, no matter how it's accepted, church, I, I challenge you today to rise up and to count the cost and say, hey, when it comes to these sins of of immorality when it comes to playing around with the flesh. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it on the cross once and for all. I'm going to put the, the lust on the cross once and for all. I'm going to put, hey, the sin of, of pornography on this cross once and for all. The devil will keep you in bondage with these sins of the flesh. 
God puts an emphasis on this type of sin. All throughout the Bible, in Timothy, he talks about in the last days. He talks about how in the last days, how there will be a lot of sins of immorality. He puts an emphasis on this for a reason. Because we struggle with it, amen? We struggle with this kind of stuff. And it's crept into the church. And if we're honest in here today, every man in this room would say, we struggle with this stuff from time to time. God, help me to put it on the cross, amen? To mortify it, to kill it. You can't play around with this stuff. I'm telling you, church, you'll either kill it or it'll kill you. One or the other. Mortify the members of the earth. That's what, that's what the verse says. It says to kill it. God puts an emphasis on this because it's the one thing that easily besets us. It's the one thing that's prevalent in our society today. God says you've got to mortify it. You've got to put it to death. Don't go back to it. Don't go back to it. He says to turn from it. It'll control you and it'll destroy you. We've got to get rid of the earthly. We've got to seek the heavenly and we've got to slay the earthly. I'm telling you, when Jesus died on that cross, he named that sin, but he died for it and he paid for it and there is victory over it in Christ. I met a young man from Teen Challenge uh, came and did some work on my home. And he shared with me the fact of how he was addicted. He was basically addicted to lust and addicted to porn. And a, he, he shared his testimony with me. And he shared with me how Christ has given him victory over that. And I thought about this passage. And I thought, you know, that young man has mortified that member of the earth in his life. He's killed it. He's gotten rid of it. And I can see the victory and the freedom in his life now. I can see him experiencing what it is. And, and you know what I told him? I said, I, I, I did, I'm not going to call his name, but I told him, I said, hey, you know what I see in your life? I see a clear picture of Jesus. I see a clear picture of the gospel. I see a clear, visible example of the power of the gospel because the, the sins of immorality have been mortified. They've been put to death. The devil has used these types of sins to destroy a many a preacher, a many a family, many a marriage. Hey, church, we can't play around with this stuff. I want our young people to know sexual purity is still right. I don't care how promiscuous our society gets. I want them to know it's still right to save yourself or your spouse. It's still right to keep yourself pure. It's still right, church. Hey. Hey, I'm telling you what the world needs today is they need truth. They don't need coddling. They don't need sugar-coated messages. Somebody needs to tell them that these sins of immorality will destroy their life. But if they'll mortify it, if they'll put it to death, you say, well, preacher, I've already messed up. I've already been involved in some of this stuff. Well, mortify it today. It don't have to ruin the rest of your life. Mortify it today. Put it to death. Jesus has already died for that sin, but you and I have to die to that sin. Some of y'all need to say today, hey, I'm putting that stuff to bed. I'm putting that stuff to rest. I'm killing it. I'm mortifying it. I'm getting rid of it. Never again. Because as long as you, Paul says we get entangled, he uses that word in one of his passages. As long as we get entangled with that stuff, 
the gospel will not be revealed in our life. We'll give a real cloudy view of God to people. Paul said there's some things that have to be mortified. What else does he say? In your notes, things that must be mortified or put to death. Let's go through the notes real quickly. Sins of immorality and coveting should not once be named among a saint. You see, there are some things like these sins of immorality after you're saved. God says they should never be named among us. Man, he broke it on down, didn't he? He said not one time. You can't play around with this stuff. Not one time, he said. These types of sin can do severe damage to your testimony and your ability to influence others for right. And your last note is this, under that point. Sometimes there are still consequences, even after forgiveness, when you're involved in this type of sin. See, even after God forgives, sometimes there's consequences. Now, aren't you thankful God forgives? Amen? I'm thankful God forgives. We've all got a past, amen? We've all got things we're not proud of. But I'm telling you, I've been forgiven. But real victory came in my life when I learned to die to my sin. When I learned to die to it, when I, when I mortify it. It ain't easy. But there's some things that have to be mortified. But sometimes there's consequences even after forgiveness. You see, my son has had a drug problem for years. And I've forgiven him. He knows I love him. We prayed the other night on the phone. But I'm going to tell you something, church. There's scars that will always be there. There's scars there that are on my children, my other children. Why? Because there's consequences for this stuff. We don't need, we get some kind of misconceived idea that after we get right with God, that God just completely removes our past. Listen, you've been forgiven for your sins of your past. But that don't mean there won't be no scars. Some of us need to remember that. We think it's just a bed of roses after we're saved. I'm telling you, one of the reasons you need to mortify that stuff because the longer you stay involved in that, I don't care how right with God you get later, you're going to have some scars. There's going to be some damage. But wouldn't it be better if we just, as young people, just give ourselves to Christ? Boy, that would be the best, wouldn't it? Oh, mortify those members, Paul said. Secondly, he said this. We'll hurry this morning. There's some things you got to put off. There's some things you got to put off. Verse 8 says, But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Man, he gave a whole laundry list of stuff we got to get rid of. Now, it's interesting to me this. Listen to me. He didn't say to mortify that stuff, did he? He said put it off. But he didn't say to kill it. Man, when it came to the sins of immorality, the sins of the flesh, the sensual sins, he said you got to kill that stuff. Hey, it shouldn't be once named among you. When it comes to this stuff, he says put it off. You know what I think God's teaching us there? Is there are some things in life, since we're still in the flesh, that, that from time to time, we just have to deal with them. Amen? They come back on us, don't they? 
See, I don't think anybody can mortify anger. I think there's going to be times in our life we're going to be angry, amen? I, I, I think what God's teaching us there, there are some sins you can mortify. You can say, once and for all, God, I'm not doing it again. But there are some things in life that we just have to deal with, like anger and malice. Hey, filthy communication out of your mouth. You can ask God to help you with that, but I'm telling you, if you live long enough, you're going to say something you wish you hadn't said somewhere down the line, amen? I think that's the lesson here. But he says to put them off, to be conscious of them. And he mentions some in particular. He mentions anger. You see, church, hey, anger in and of itself is not a sin. God tells us many times in Scripture that he got angry with his children. God didn't sin. Anger in and of itself is not a sin. It's the motive of your anger that makes the difference. It's the motive of your anger that makes the difference. What are you mad about? And, and I hope you see the progression here. He says to put off anger, wrath, malice. There's a progression there, amen? It starts off with anger. I, I think what God's teaching us here is, is if you have anger in your life, uncontrolled anger will lead to hatred. And that will lead to malice. And that word malice means revenge. In your notes, it's like this. Uncontrolled anger that leads to hatred. And even a desire to seek harm or revenge. I, I'm telling you today, God says that's got to be put off. That's got to be controlled. Now, I don't know who in here today has a problem with anger. Has a problem with her temper. Amen. We got hands being raised up here in the front. But chances are in a church our size, even in a crowd this size, that, that some people struggle with that. And I'm telling you, the, the good news is you can put it off. But the sobering news is it's probably something you're going to deal with your whole life. I think that's what this passage is teaching us. Every now and then you've got to do a checkup, amen, and, and, and check yourself. Hey, do I need to put off anger today? Do I need to put off anger? Because if you let it dwell, if you let it fester, I think it'll lead to malice. You'll go from being angry with someone, you'll go to not liking them. Hating them, amen? And then it'll go to vengeance. You'll go, if you let anger linger, you'll go to wanting to harm somebody. Wanting to, wanting to seek revenge on somebody. God says that's got to be put off. If the world's going to see a clear picture of Jesus in your life, you can't let that stuff control you. The Bible says anger rests in the bosom of fools. Anger will make you do foolish stuff. It, it'll make you look like a fool. I've seen it before. I was in a, in a Kroger store years ago. It was a grand opening. And some of y'all don't know, I work for the Little Debbie Company. And uh, we had this big, beautiful display being built in that store for the grand opening. And, and the district manager of that Kroger store, this guy was a big shop in Kroger, he told us exactly what to bring in for that promotion. He said, I want 200 cases of product. I want a waterfall display. I want the whole graphics, the nine yard. I mean, I want it nice. Man, we had that thing looking right. Man, it was beautiful. And, and, and grand opening hit. Store open. People were going crazy. You know how it is when a new store opens in town. Amen. Everybody goes. And man, they blitzed that display. I mean, we walked in there that Monday morning. There was nothing left. 
And that district manager was not happy. Man, he came over there. I'll never forget he had a clipboard in his hand. And me and the distributor are standing there, and I'm just, and Mickey, my distributor, said, man, I don't, man, we sold everything I had. I said, well, he, he told us how much to bring. Amen, I trying to cover us. I said, he told us how much product to bring in. He come over there with a clipboard, and the first thing he did was threw that clipboard on the floor in front of about 20 people. That's the first thing he did. And, and started telling us how poor of a performance we had done that weekend by running out of product and all his customers. And, and you know, in, in the retail industry, sometimes you just got to take it. Amen? So I just sit there and took it. But you know what happened? He lost his temper. And he threw that clipboard down. And his blood pressure went up. And you know what he did? He looked like a fool to all those people around him. Anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Hey, we got to get control of this stuff. If you've got a problem with anger, God says to put it off. It's going to come back and haunt you again, but you need to put it off. Learn to put it off, church. Malice, vengeance. We don't have time to go through the whole thing, but, but he also mentioned filthy communication. Hey, and it would be easy to look at that and say we shouldn't curse, but while that's true, what he's really talking about is we need to learn to speak words of edification. We need to learn to speak words that build others up. Amen? We need to learn to speak words that, that build up and not tear down. Put off the negative. Put off the criticism. Put off the foul, the, the filthy communication. He said to put it off, church. My mama used to say, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything. Amen? Words that tear down instead of build up, I believe that's in your notes. Things that must be put off, uncontrolled anger. Words that tear down instead of build up. And then the last one is this, intentionally deceiving another person or being dishonest. He also mentions, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Intentionally deceiving another person or being dishonest. These are things that Paul said you've got to put off. And then he says this, and we'll be done this morning. He said, now after you've put these things off and listen, you can't put this other stuff on until you put this stuff off first. I, I think God gives us this order for a reason. You've got to get rid of the trash, so to speak. You've got to you got to get rid of some things. You got to kill some things. Then you got to put off some things before you can put on Jesus. Amen. You can't harbor anger and sin and unconfessed sin and sins of immorality and expect to put on Jesus when you go out. You got to get rid of that stuff. And then he says you can put on some things. What does he say we should put on? What does God give as priority for things we should put on? Look at verse 10. And I put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. <coughs> Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. And then in verse 12 he says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, 
forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And then he says, above all, put on charity. The most important thing you'll put on after you get rid of the junk is the love of Christ. So in your notes, let's go through these last notes, things to put on. These things are required if you want to take on the image of Christ. And that's what he said in that verse. Kindness. Number one, kindness. And that refers to how we treat others. And you can't, listen, again, let's think about this order. You can't put on kindness until you get rid of anger. Amen? Can't do it. That's why anger is so devastating, because as long as you got anger in your heart, you're not going to be kind. I ain't never seen a kind, mad person. Amen? Just don't happen. What else does he say? Put on humility. That's basically what he's saying when he says meekness. Put on humility. That's always thinking of others first. What else does he say? He says put on patience. He says forbearance. That word just means patience with your brothers and sisters. That's all that means. Always thinking of others first with humility. Patience. Patience, a great definition of patience is this, is waiting without complaint. You hear people talk about patience. Well, that's waiting on God. If you really study that out, it's waiting without griping. See, some people think they have patience, but if they gripe the whole time they're patient, that's not patience. Real patience is waiting on God with a good attitude. Waiting on God with a good spirit, amen? Really being patient is waiting on the Lord and and being patient with your brothers and sisters, hey, and not griping. Man, I need some of that in my life, amen? What else do we need to put on? Forgiveness. Why? Because we've been forgiven. The next time you struggle forgiving someone... All you got to do is remember what Jesus did for you. The most important thing you can do, though, church, is this. The most important thing you can do to look like Jesus is to love people. He said, above all, put on charity. Hey, the most important thing you can do when you walk out of here this week to look and reflect the Lord Jesus is just to love people. Just love them. Love them like Christ did. That's called agape love. That's spiritual love. Amen? You know, you can love someone spiritually without even knowing them. You can care for their soul. You can love them with agape love. That's unconditional love. Nobody loves me like Jesus. Above all, put on charity, he said. Above all. Ultimately, if the love of God... It says in verse 14, above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Ultimately, it's the love of God that unites us and completes us and reveals the true power of the gospel. If we're going to go out this week and reflect God's love, that will reveal the gospel. How do we manifest the gospel in our life? Preacher's been 
preaching the series on the gospel and the power of the gospel. Next week, he'll talk about the power of the resurrection. But in this passage, Paul says, If ye be risen with Christ, then seek the heavenly. Slay the earthly. Slay the earthly. And then focus on the godly. Strengthen the godly. And then he says, just love people. If you do those things, he said the gospel will be revealed. Hey, I don't know about you, church. I want to reveal the gospel in my life. And I got news for you. It's more than words. If our life don't match our words, the gospel is going to be ineffective. God help us today. Maybe there's something you need to die to. Maybe you're entangled with something and you know deep down, man, I'm never going to be able to reveal the gospel until I die to this. God help me to die to it today. God, you said there's some sin I've got to mortify. I can't mess with it. I've got to get rid of it. I've got to kill it or it'll kill me. God, there's some things you said I need to put off. There's some things I need to learn how to control. Don't say mortify because I don't think you can kill these things, anger and malice and the way we talk. But God, help me to control it. Help me overall, God, to have a good, consistent life in these areas. And then, God, if I'll do those things, you said, okay, now you're ready to put on some things. Kindness, humility, patience. And if you do those things, the gospel will be revealed. That's how you reveal the gospel. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Paul gives us a great 